welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to a Christmas... Well, it's Christmas weekend, Knock On Podcast, and I'm going to start off this podcast by saying if you haven't seen it yet, you must go to either the Knock On TV Instagram page or go to the Brad of All Brad pages to see his video the night before Christmas. Uh, Super, super awesome. That was awesome absolutely hilarious got me in the christmas spirit thank you for that um i've been so dang i don't know i've just been busy out of my gourd right now and haven't really been able to settle down and even think about christmas but once i saw that i'm like you know what i'm putting the brakes on um let's bust out the freaking santa pump sweater and let's get in the christmas spirit quit being a grinch and uh he's got an awesome video get all of you in the mood so that's gonna be really good it's early in the morning so i'm a little bit froggy um i took my wife sharon last night uh to a nice restaurant and we drank we ate and we were happy so now this morning i'm feeling a little bit hoarse and i want to go practice Uh, i want to get some some arrows in my goal today is uh 200 um so i'm gonna work on 200 arrows uh today see how that goes and then also uh i'm gonna work on i'm gonna do well i might as well tell you sometimes people ask me uh i'm gonna do 30 minutes on a bike um and that'll be at the end of a leg day i'm doing leg day today mainly because um mainly because I'm going to be shooting so many arrows in practice. Uh, Not really smart to double up on the upper body with that many practice rounds. Um, I've been posting several of my practice rounds. I did a live feed with a live 300 round uh, for all of you. Uh, And I'm trying to think when that was, maybe two days ago. I had that on my story. I did save it, so I may post it at some point. Um, sometimes people want to see that stuff. I'm kind of beyond, I'm over it, but, um, anyway, it was a pretty good round. I went live mainly because I got for the first time this year, I kind of got in my zone, um, was really shooting, uh, kind of just shooting in the Zen moment, so to speak, had some good tunes going other than one song. There's one song that kind of slowed my vibe a little bit once I went to the radio, but, uh, yeah, just kind of got in my zone, shot, and wanted people who were interested in target archery to be able to uh, to kind of see rhythm, see kind of the cadence and uh, timing between everything. And really, I got to the point where uh, all three shots were going off really well within uh, 60 seconds. Um anywhere from 54 to 57 seconds for uh, a lot of my three arrow rounds 
um, which is very, very awesome to be able to get in that kind of a cadence uh, for three arrows and stay within those types of time limits. It just really means that you've got a great routine and you're flowing through. So um, so yeah, you can watch that, pay attention, and try to pick up some little details. I'm certainly not um, a master right now, but give you something to look at, something to learn off of, and all that good stuff. <clears throat> Another thing, uh, before I get into, I've got a bunch of good questions from you guys over the last couple days. I've been screenshotting several questions from posts, and I'll go over those today. I'm also going to take a couple questions from people that are watching right now in the live feed, but yesterday uh, we got in, well, we actually got them in several days ago. But yesterday we put on three batches of, um, it was actually six cases of Noctuits. Uh, so we had three big batches that went online and they were sold out in I think just over an hour. So of course the next phase to that is everybody that's pissed off sending emails in saying I got an email and I went on and they're no longer available. So yeah, we're sorry, but here's what you have to do. This is my public service announcement. It sucks if you missed it, but there are more coming and uh, we're not gonna be able to ship you know, on Christmas holiday and stuff like that. And with UPS, uh, one of the shipments was delayed. So uh, there'll be a big shipment coming later next week. Um, so make sure you go to the knockonartree.com store, click on the knock to it and then by the knock to it there's a small little box that says notify me you have to check that box and then type in your email um, because that is a private email blast that kicks out uh, to everybody before they go live to the public so to speak so um, make sure you take advantage of that and I think I'm pretty confident that over the next three months we may get caught up maybe so um we'll see but uh next thing is um so it in my shooting a lot of you who are wise have noticed i'm actually shooting a different release right now so um i'm shooting a new release that's going to be coming out um well, I'm hoping it'll be ready within three to four weeks because I wanted it for indoor season for all of you out there. Um, and it's a release that you've been seeing a couple sneak peeks on. Um, I've been shooting one for about, I mean, I've been working with design phase um, over the last year, maybe. I'm trying to think it could be the last year because I think I had some of the first ones here when I had my um, knock-on appreciation party for... Uh, when Bronco and uh, Brad came, Dayton Holloway came. Um, so uh, then I got some of the first prototypes, um, one of which I got to Bailey, and she's been shooting it, um, giving me feedback. Um, I got it off to one other person um, who is a hinge, hinge liker or lover. And then now um, the latest and you know kind of the most recent version 
not the final version. There's actually one more design change that was made that will be in all the final ones. But the one that I'm shooting right now in my shooting is pretty much generation three. And I was happy with it. So went ahead and uh, turned the key. Um, there was one change that's going to be made um, that I haven't seen yet, just mainly on an internal component and the way it fits the inside of the finger. Um, so that should be completely done. And I think we'll, I think everyone who wants to try a hinge release is going to be happy. So um, I've got several questions on, you know, kind of the hinge related release some people recognizing that my form is slightly different um, mainly hand positioning and things like that while I'm shooting so I'm going to talk a little bit about that today in the podcast and um, I guess let's see what else would I need to talk about in relation to that well mainly everyone out there needs to recognize that there's well, I guess there's probably four types of releases, really. So you've got a wrist strap release, which is a caliper-style release that is set off from the index finger. Um, then you've got a handheld release, which within the handheld release category, there are really three types of processes or manipulations in order to get those to fire. Um, there technically is four, but they don't make the fourth one anymore. Um, so the first being just a thumb activated release, which is what the knock to it is. You cock the release, the jaw closes, you can draw back without your finger on the trigger. Cause if you push the thumb trigger, it will fire same as a rifle trigger. Um, the next one would be a tension activated release, which is what the silverback is. So with the silverback, you're essentially holding it in your hand through the entire shot cycle the same as the knock to it the only difference is you have to depress the thumb uh, button or you know the thumb lever in order to prevent the release from opening up as you're drawing back because the way that release is made you depress the trigger you draw back you come to your anchor position you'll let off the thumb and then you continually pull and build pressure on the back wall of the cam until the release fires. So, um, you know, there's, it's, that is true tension. Um, you know, you hear a lot about back tension and back tension is a movement um, that really you need to have to fire any release or you should use to fire any release. Um, but the type of release itself is really going to depend or determine what type of hand position or hand manipulation that you may have to do. The third is a hinge style release. So a hinge style release is a, is a release that actually has a pivoting head where the head pivots on the main handle of the release that your fingers are going through. And the way those work is you actually have to have the release rolled forward. So your knuckles, um, your pinky ring and middle finger, they need to be forward as you draw back. All the pressure has to be on your thumb and your index finger as you draw back. 
And then once you're in your position, the release as you pull through that head pivots and what's happening is as the head is pivoting, there's a small little trap door or a hook that's you know on the back end of what's grabbing your loop and it slides on a moon. There's a, they call them a moon just because it's a small metal piece that is half of a circle and it slides on that moon as you're rolling until you come off the edge and when you come off the edge of the moon the the hook opens up and the arrow goes forward so there's a slight difference if you are brand new to archery i can tell you that probably the best thing for you to do is to learn the silverback first um, learn how to one you've got a safety for drawing back and for letting down as long as you always have your finger on the safety you're good to go as you do that and you learn how to make good shots and how to pull through shots you can gravitate towards a thumb button style release where you're gonna you know which is a knock to it you cock it it locks on to the loop it can stay there you can draw back without your finger on the trigger come to your anchor position the same as you would on your silverback peep on the uh, nose to the string looking through the peep uh, pins on the target then you can move your thumb to the trigger and once your thumbs on that trigger you'll have just a slight amount of pressure on the trigger and from there you keep your thumb in the same position but you build pressure on the trigger by continually pulling back just the same as what you did with your silverback and that'll continually build pressure on the thumb and on the trigger and it'll fire with a surprise release and it's really crisp and really clean and if you get depending on how you like to set the trigger on your release you can actually get them to fire with a little bit less effort than the silverback which is kind of why a lot of people like a trigger better plus um, with the silverback you know people start to feel inconsistency because it's pointing out a whole bunch you know what happens is if you're inconsistent the release feels inconsistent which i think personally is imperative to people learning uh proper archery but a lot of people out there don't want to put in that hard work those that do and those that recognize what happens when they pull back and they're trying to to get the shot to fire and it doesn't fire they are making huge leaps and bounds as archers and they are the ones that are really getting the benefit out of that silverback release a lot of these things that i teach you and a lot of the things that i point out regarding form breakdown and technique breakdown is all relative to things that i learned from a release that taught me what happens when I'm not consistent myself and there was a lot of days where I was sitting there like why isn't this working gosh it just feels so different and you know and you start to get a you know I got a video out and start to look at myself and then I just start to realize okay you know I've got my scapula compressed back my you know my front arms creeping up my elbow's getting low as I'm tired. My leverage is different. Like you just start to recognize all these different leverages and dynamic movements and very important positions that the body has to be in to be super, super consistent as an archer. So 
the the silverback points that out now the hinge release is one that a lot of people within the target world like because it forces you to have a surprise shot because you're not actually able to push a button and make it fire <clears throat> now it doesn't necessarily point out as many things as the silverback will i can tell you that it's not going to um, but it does make you be patient with your shot. However, there is a slight difference in your mindset and also just how the whole thing, really how your whole shot process functions, which is why I'm actually shooting um, the Too Smooth right now and I'm shooting it, I'm gonna be shooting it for a while just because I've got to actually get mentally back into that mindset of this is how this release works. I haven't shot a hinge, um, you know, for a long period of time in a long, long time. So just the movement, my hand manipulation, learning my hand positioning, all that stuff is so, so important and it's slightly different. Um, the one thing that I'll tell you is the biggest thing that I had to do, um, I took three different releases from Carter that I really liked, and I've combined them into this new Too Smooth hinge release. One of the things that was the toughest was coming up with a design to where we could bring the hook close enough to the index finger so that your draw length between... Uh, a too smooth, a knock to it, and a silverback all feel similar. It is very, very close, but it isn't exact. You can't get that close. So, um, and there's a couple things there. Um, once people start to get these, I'll talk through these. I'll do a live feed. I'll do a video to make sure I show you. Um, there's a couple things that I changed. One, I just shortened my D loop up just a little bit, maybe a sixteenth of an inch. The other thing is I changed material on my D loop um, to suit a hinge, which I've found that the hinges work better on a D loop material that I actually worked with uh, with BCY years and years ago, and it's called D braid. So D Dudley, um, it was called Dudley braid until, um, other pros were using it and realized it was named after me and then got butt hurt and told them that they wouldn't shoot it unless it had a different name. So they just changed it to D braid. Then they shoot it again. But, um, the D braid is a finer, a slightly finer, um, loop material. It's a little bit smaller and it also has just a slightly different surface so it actually slides on the hook a little bit better so for a hinge shooter you'll find that it's a little bit smoother coming off the hook um, however if you're shooting um, a cockable release like a knock to it or even the silverback the d-braid does work um, but it will wear a little bit faster um, so that's kind of a long lead-in to some of these questions that I know uh, I've got coming up here. Um, so yeah, the first question was from Drop the Mica, um, was pretty much just asking any info on the Too Smooth. Um, 
thumb release or back tension videos pics anything so yeah uh i haven't shown a full picture of the release yet or how it is because one a picture of the release is not going to do justice to what's inside of the release and the ability to have control of many things um, that a hinge shooter is going to appreciate um, clicker length as well as um, speed of the speed of the hook on the moon as well as you can have both those you can also change the actual um, position of the head at start so some people like to start with their hands laid way back some people like to start their um, index or their hinge shooting with their um, release laid forward so you're going to have the ability to actually adjust the head to where you can either have it forward, you can have it laid back. All those change how your how the pivot feels within your hand itself. You'll also be able to micro adjust. Um, actually, built the moons on. Um, they ride. There's a thread that runs through the moons. So as you turn the index uh, or uh, the the Allen key. The thread of the release will actually turn the moon for you so you're not loosening a locking screw trying to rotate the moon. For those of you who are hinge release uh, shooters, you know what I'm saying right now. If you're a beginner, you're thinking, what the hell is this guy talking about? But um, So in other words, there used to be, on a lot of releases, there was a screw that you know locked the moon into place. And you would have to loosen that screw and try to micro-adjust your moon to where you could get the speed of your release. So, in other words, the, your hook, the edge of your hook was riding on this moon. So as you turn the moon, you would make it either a lot slower before it fired, or if you rotated the moon right on the edge, it would be ready to fire right away. Um, but you did have to use your thumbs to actually roll that moon. This is going to give you the ability to actually turn a screw and the screw is going through the moon so that the moon is actually rolling with a thread type system. And then there's actually a second moon that will control your clicker to either have a clicker or not have a clicker or you can make a click. You can literally adjust one to where your click can be this long or you can bring your click to where as soon as that click happens, it's ready to rip. Um, and again, all that stuff that I just talked about, hinge shooters will know what I'm talking about. Non-hinge shooters are saying, what in the hell is this thing? Sounds confusing. So yeah, it, there is more of a learning curve to it. And there's a learning curve to me actually shooting it as well um, because hand position is slightly different. And um, I'm wanting to relearn. Um, I'm wanting to get shooting. Well, that ideally, I'd be shooting better, but as good or better than I have with my other two releases. Keep in mind, I've been shooting these other two releases for probably four or five years now. So, um, And I have shot some hinges for testing purposes, but not full rounds to where it's the one thing that's in my release pouch and I want to do that so that way when they become available I'm able to just say okay everybody 
here's the things you're going to feel. I felt them too. Um, here's the things that you're going to feel. Here's the slight differences. And, you know, we'll be able to coach you through those. That's, that's, uh, my plan. So drop the mica. That's your answer. Next question here, um, is, uh, let's see here. Bowfish for life 71 saying, should I put a small drop of oil in my silverback um, about once a year to keep it more consistent? I'm at about 6,000 shots on it, and I've noticed just a small amount of inconsistency. Um, so I put a small drop of, um, of bow axle oil on the hook, and it seemed to come back. Um, so, yeah, with the releases, those parts, even though they're hardened, they can start with condensation. They can start to build up some rust, um, different things. So those edges, you know, the sears inside, putting just a little drop of rem oil, a dabble do you one, um, about once a year is all you need to do. Um, once that hook opens up, you can put just a drop in there and close it. You'll feel that it probably closed just a little bit easier. Um, the other thing too is if you've put a tremendous amount of shots through there, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be afraid to just uh, call Carter and ask Forrest um, if he would do you know a little cleanup for you or something like that. So um, I it's on my list of things to do. I do want to do a little uh, release maintenance video for you to show you how to do some cleanup and some release maintenance, um, but. Uh, at least for right now, just one drop of oil is actually um, a perfect thing to do. Um, not too much because obviously um, dust, dirt, they'll stick to oil. So if you just have this big oily um, release, you're obviously going to, there's going to be um, different types of grit that's going to attach to that too. So if you do oil it, and you start to get in like dusty environments, you're going to have to then clean it out um, from that too. So just be careful. Dab will do you. Um, so uh, let's see. BLB8698 is saying, um, what are the pros of the two-finger hinge over a three-finger? Um, I have a three um, and now have all intentions to buy a two-smooth, but I'm just curious. So really, I've shot a two-finger release for a long, long, long time. Um, ever since uh, Randy Ulmer gave me my first hinge release in 1997. Uh, so 20 years. 20 years I've shot a two-finger release. There's very few people that have. Um, Randy Ulmer was one of them. Jesse Broadwater was one of them. Um, another super awesome archer that's doesn't get a lot of attention. He kind of comes out of the woodwork once or twice a year is Tony Clem. Um, all two finger release shooters and super, super awesome archers. What I've learned is the more fingers I can put on a release, the more I have the ability to manipulate the release or manipulate my hand and change two different things one your release angle so if you grab your bowstring or grab your release 
and you look at your hand position, your hand can be vertical or it can be horizontal, it can be flat. So that is angle, okay? What I found is angle starts to have impact on arrow flight or arrow impact um, based on several factors. One of the factors is string tension. So some bows have a, a fair amount of string tension. In other words, when you grab the bowstring, it's taunt and you can't really bend it and flex it. Other bowstrings, especially ones where people start to back their poundage out a lot on their bows to where it takes a lot of the pressure off the string and the string's a little bit flimsier and floppier, if you have that or some models, some models of bow have string tension that's pretty weak uh, just naturally because of the system. When the string tension is weak, your hand angle is going to have an effect on the actual bowstring itself. I've had times where I've been standing behind an archer and their hand is turned up so much where their pinkies are high, pinkies are pointing straight up, um, and you can see the bowstring itself is actually bent to match the position of their hand angle. So that has an effect. The length of your D loop has an effect so people that shoot a short little d loop uh, when they start to turn their hand with a handheld release they'll start to turn the string much faster than if someone has a d loop that's at least three quarters of an inch longer up to about an inch the other thing is the type of material that you use for a d loop so there's been some companies that make release rope that is super hard and they market it for how good it wears, especially with like caliper, um, index finger caliper releases. Some of them are pretty hard on D-loops. So they get this very hard D-loop material that wears really good, but also it's so stiff and rigid that if you turn your hand, you'll turn your bowstring as well. And you don't really want that. And you can you can actually assess whether that is an issue for you by if you're a target archer and you're shooting a launcher blade, look at the bottom of your arrow as it would normally sit on the lizard tongue. If you look at your arrow and you can see that the one side of your arrow has the lizard tongue riding down it all the time and the other side does not it's probably an indicator that the position or the angle of your release hand is putting pressure on that string and actually applying pressure to one side of the knock as it's on the string and it's tipping that arrow so that you're riding that lizard tongue out on an angle and this is an important thing to recognize because um, if that's happening, you're costing yourself some points. So hand angle is going to be very important because of string tension as well as the loop tension or the flexibility of your loop and the loop length affects that. Um, also, what I found is with a release hand, the more vertical you make 
the release, so if you're perfectly flat, let's just say you're at zero degrees, okay? If you turn it to where it's vertical, you're at 90 degrees. So what I found is once you hit about 45 degrees and then start to go from 45 to 90, about every five degrees within that movement will actually have more and more impact. So if you're flat or at about 45, you can have some variation and it doesn't have much effect. But once you start to invert that release hand, it does have uh, an effect. So that's release angle. The next thing is rocker position. So rocker position is how your hand, and for those of you watching are getting to see how your hand is actually positioned. So if sometimes you draw back and all your pressure's on your pinky, and then sometimes you draw back and all the pressure is this way, even with a thumb activated release, these variations will change where the hook is sitting on your D-loop. So if your D-loop is sitting like this and your hook's in here, depending on your rocker position, that hook could be sitting right on the edge of your D-loop or you know, technically the edge of the jaw so that as it opens, it's coming off really clean. Or if you tip your hand too far and you bury that loop within the hook, as it fires, it almost hangs a little bit longer before it comes out. It's no different than finger shooters. Back in the day when people shot with fingers, if you went deep around the string with your fingers and shot, you would have a completely different arrow flight than if you were in the same exact position on your tips of your fingers or within within the first joint of your fingers so you can't one second be at the first joint of your fingers and the next second be at the, the second joint you'd have completely different results shooting your bow so angle rocker position both of those have impacts on arrow flight and arrow consistency and where they land in the target so each finger that you take off of the release is one less finger that has the ability to manipulate either of those two points that I talked about, either rocker position or angle. So what I found is the rocker position gets... Um, it gets variation once you bring your ring finger and your pinky finger into play because you know you'll slowly as you're holding longer and longer you're going to start manipulating those fingers and trying to change the position of your hand um, so i've just found that with two fingers you don't have much ability to rock the release in different positions and it's also much more consistent for your angle when you only have two fingers in the release because then you're only worrying about two fingers on the face. As soon as you have other fingers on, if you get too deep in the release and you start to fist up, you'll slightly change your anchor so that those other fingers can fit comfortably on the face. If you wrap your fingers around a two finger release and you're pretty much locked into a, a perfectly flat hand, those are, that's a very, very consistent position right there. Now with the hinge style release, 
because it rocks so with the too smooth because that release actually does pivot and you do have to have some movement between your index finger and your ring finger or uh, your middle finger um, the hand position is slightly different and the movement that you'll see within the hand is slightly different too I've posted a couple videos of me shooting at the range these last few days. I'd invite you to uh, go to my Instagram page and look at that. Um, Knock on TV is the Instagram page. Take a look at that because you can see, look at two things. One, look at the continual movement of the back arm. You can see I am pulling through the shot, but I'm also slightly my fingers because I'm pulling and I'm actually slightly relaxing my index finger my other fingers appear like they're curling up but I'm actually slightly relaxing my index finger as I'm pulling through my shot and that hinge is going off super super smooth I'm really really happy with my left to right variation uh, with this release so all these things are critical Less fingers on the release means less manipulation to the release. Um, so if you have four fingers on the release, you're going to be more inconsistent because unless you're shooting every day and able to analyze the importance of those two things that I talked about, angle and rocker, um, if you're not paying attention to those two things and you're holding a four-finger release, you're going to have variation in up and down or left and right. So the less fingers you shoot, and Ulmer got to the point where he would shoot one. He, he changes releases to where he would actually draw his release in a completely opposite direction of everybody else. It wasn't safe, by the way. Um, and he would almost let all the fingers off the release except only holding that thing with one finger and as he would pull through, um, I mean, he made it work, but he was literally trying to have as little of hand manipulation on the release as possible. And then also you could always see that he was trying to align his anchor position so that his string contact was also absolutely as minimal as possible. Um, and that really leading into the next question, uh, Chad Witt 21 is saying, why is your hand more open? Um, it used to be a fist. So it's a, what I'm shooting in these videos right now is a hinge release. So that goes right back. You guys should all take a look and look at the two and compare them. I'm super happy with how I'm shooting and I actually feel like I'm getting a, into rhythm faster with my two smooth than I would shooting some of the others. Um, but there's uh, there's just slight variations, like I said. You know, I look back and when I used to shoot a hinge release in tournaments, which I shot hinge releases for probably seven years of competition, um, my hand did look more open compared to once I started shooting a thumb activated trigger. And so there's just a slight variation. Uh, next question here is from Go Patriots 1975. He's just saying, um, "Do you keep your draw weight on your target bow the same as your hunting bow?" Um, for sure not. Um, you know, with target bow, I'm really focused on finesse, 
Target bow is much lighter in weight. Um, normally I'll shoot 60 pounds as a max for um, my target bows. And mainly because with um, like world archery, the maximum you're allowed is 60 pounds. So that was kind of based on a rule. Um, let's see here. Next question is uh, from <laughs> fire underscore fucks. Uh, and that's with an X, by the way. I didn't curse online, so I don't have to censor this uh, podcast. My mouth is so dry right now. I'm parched. We uh, experimented with several different happy hour um, concoctions last night, and my mouth is drier than a popcorn fart is another term my dad um, used to say while I was a kid. So I'll use one of my dad's terms since I'm wearing uh, this crazy hat of my dad's. Uh, let's see. So he's saying, how does one go about getting such a smooth draw like that? Um, I think my draw weight is already lowered to 55 pounds, but when I draw a bow, it does not look as clean and smooth as yours, not even close. So within those videos, you'll see my draw cycle. This is one thing that I'm super, that I found really, really important. Um, and one thing that I really tell people that they need to start to learn to control, and that's their ability to maintain posture and very fluid movement as you are raising the bow, drawing the bow back, coming to anchor, just slightly moving your head. All those, the more you can minimize your movements and your posture through your draw cycle that's when you're going to really start progressing as an archer. Um, a lot of people that start to draw, and they're, especially when they're pulling too much weight and their bow has to come above the shoulder to start the draw cycle, already you're compressing the shoulder socket back. Um, or even if they can have their arm forward and they start to pull the string, when it gets to be too much, they bring their head forward as they're pulling the bow back and all these things are indicators that you're just really pulling too much weight to be as good as you can be i'm not saying you're pulling too much weight but if you're going to sit there and try to shoot a 300 round and put arrows to where every arrow is touching the last one um the this is how you're gonna do it. You're not you're not gonna do it. I mean, if you're a if you're a two ninety eight shooter and you video yourself drawing your bow back and you're having to bring that bow up and come back and you know you're kind of digging into your face and settling in and you know if you're having to to lose efficiency and go through all these motions to draw your bow back, it's costing you points. That's all there is to it. Um, so one thing that I'm super proud of is my ability on my draw cycle. And a lot of this comes from my weight training and also how I weight train. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's such polar opposites in weight training for people and how they do it or what they believe or how much they train and, there's a lot of different ways to do it and everyone's doing it their own way. Everyone may want to look a certain way, which is fine. Um, I've just all always been about what gives me 
the best physical um, shape and physical strength for my sport, which is archery. And so I am a big advocate of lower weight with with more control. Um, years ago, I was taught to take to make less weight feel more heavy. So, you know, I was told if you slow your movements down, regardless of the movement, you know, um, for example, uh, I was actually, I was at a gym. I had Frank Zane with me and, you know, we were sitting there and, you know, he's like, well, what do you normally do with bench? I kind of just showed him and, and, uh, you know, I had like 225 on there and, you know, like most people you're going through the motions, you're like, you know, kind of really losing technique and form, trying to just bust some reps out. And he just cut that in half, took plates off the side. And he said, okay, I want you to go slow enough with 135 to where it feels as heavy as 225. And so I just said, okay. And I, thought I was going slow and he's like you're not going slow and he said slow it down slower 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 and that set was over I rested we started again he said okay I want you to start out as slow as that give me 10 that slow and I'll tell you what the next day I was so sore everywhere because I started to really focus on the negative contraction of a muscle and you start to learn control so even with the kettlebell, I don't sling really heavy kettlebells around. Um, even with kettlebell movements and shoulder movements, you know, I really try to rack them. And then all my movements are just super slow and focused on the movements to where I'm trying to maintain form and not lose form in my shoulders. A lot of people, when they're doing tricep extensions, when they're doing lat pulldowns, They've got their lats all, you know, their lats are all extended wrong because they're shrugged up and they're trying to, they're literally using everything, all their shoulders and pecs and everything to like try to hold it while they rack in these big heavy sets. And, you know, if you're just going for a big bulky look, then go for it. But if you want to be able to have a super smooth and controlled draw cycle like that to where you can raise up and literally feel every single pound of increase within that cam cycle and that cam design, if you can feel every bit of change in that poundage as it's stacking and stacking and as it's falling and then where your back wall hits, you're going to learn that by learning to start using lower weight with much, much slower reps. And you'll also find that your soreness and your tear within the muscle is going to be much deeper within the muscle. So, you know, I've had times where I've been way bulkier than I am now, um, but I've also found that during those times, um, it wasn't necessarily the best for this sport. Um, now I've just really tried to focus on very, very slow movements with the positive being a one-second positive and you know right now i'm doing like a rowing motion so if i was doing rows and i was you know sitting in the rack and i'm doing a row motion pulling in i would literally 1000 on the pull and then it'd be 1 1000 2 1000 3 1000 on the negative while 100% maintaining 
form and posture through that set. Um, you know, every day I go and I work out. Luckily now I work out at um, Harry's College uh, because I made sure that when they recruited him for cross country, I put a little line item in there that I get a pass to the weight room. Um, so I go there and um, I'm a lot bigger than most of the kids that are in there working out, but I'm doing probably half the weight. Um, and every single day right now I'm sore as heck. <laughs> um, so every single day I'm making progress and I do feel like I'm getting stronger. Um, but I do use less weight and, you know, even with pull-ups, um, you know, one reason why I like, I personally probably won't get into like CrossFit, even though I really want, you know, in a way I want to, is, you know, they're all about power and explosion. And a lot of times just those movements aren't really relatable to form so much. So like when I go in, um, I'll normally do pull-ups every single day and I really can't do that many. Um, so what I do is every day I go to failure on my pull-ups, but I'm also doing pull-ups exactly how I just told you. Um, I'm almost doing a three count on the way up and then on the way down, I'm doing a four count. So the entire pull-up cycle, I'm really focused on scaps down, um, and actually using strength throughout the whole movement, not just doing like a kip up. Um, I'm trying to literally feel my muscle and feel the muscle firing every single second of the movement. And really, that's what I feel when I draw my bow, too. And I think it's, uh, I think it's really important. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. County Line Firearms is saying, I see you're running the drop-away style rest. How did you set it up? It looks like you're using a cage to stop the blade. Um, I have mine bottoming out on the riser, um, and I'm using a lizard tongue. Any advantage to the whale tail? So I'm actually using a freak bar um, from the knock-on elevate rest with the whale tail. Um, so exactly what I'm shooting for my hunting bow, that's what I have on my target bow. Um, and what I... What I really encourage people to do is um, make sure that when your arrow rest is down, if you're shooting it in a limb-driven style, which that's how the Elevate comes, um, like on a Hoyt, mine does stop on the, on the top of my riser, um, on the riser shelf as it comes down. But the important thing is with the cage that is between the end of the, the, the rest and where it mounts on the pivoting, um, rod, the cage of the rest is directly in between that. And that's there for a very important reason. It's there as support to the center of your blade. Remember your blade is spring steel, so it's bendable. And if all you're doing is hitting the end of that blade and as your limbs are driving forward and it's slapping down, if you have a bunch of bending in the middle of that blade all the time, you're going to break them there that's they're gonna break um, but if you loosen the two little screws that hold your cage on the uh, the cage that's around the the arrow uh, launcher slide that cage up to where when your rest is sitting down on the shelf just slide it up to where it's just touching the the middle part just barely touching there 
and that way you have support in the center of that spring steel piece so that you're not going to snap them now what i did on mine and i don't have my bow here for those watching is i originally i had the half cage um, you get two different cages with the elevate rest the half cage and the full containment cage um, i had the half cage but I actually just for target reasons and because I have a shoot through riser anyway on my on my Hoyt um, Prevail, I actually just took a pair of uh, wire cutters and cut um, kind of that side one inch of the, the cage off. So I've kind of got that support cage coming and going underneath the center of the blade, but right where it starts to curve up along the outside, I've cut it off right there. Uh, it just helps me load faster uh, without hitting the side of it as I feed my arrow through. Um, I'm shooting the whale tail mainly just because I've got, uh, um, it was, I kind of wanted to just see how it did and I'm loving it. Um, super easy. Uh, I'm shooting a 2315 arrow and it supports it really, really nice. Um, and I think I think it's pretty cool. Um, there's a few little things I've learned uh, I'll talk about really quick. So for target archers, um, most of the target bows, the limbs are not as parallel as um, the hunting bows. And because of that, the limbs, because they're a little bit more vertical, there's a little bit more limb slap and they travel a little bit further forward. Um, so because of that, it actually, and if you're shooting a limb driven, you have a cord going from your rest down to your limb. And because that limb is traveling beyond where it sits in a resting position, it is actually pulling that blade down harder. So the further you move your, your bracket that holds your rest cord, the further you move it down the limb, the more of that travel you're going to have so you kind of need to bring it up the limb just a little bit further than what you normally would so that you're preventing how much overslap that's having and it'll really help your longevity on uh, your blades so hopefully that all helps you uh, let's see here been shooting this is from I think it's Ty Butters Ty Butters tie butters maybe i don't know but he's saying uh, i've been shooting a silverback at closer range the shots break perfect but it seems like when i back it up um and start shooting long distance it's really hard to ma make my shots break that's because you're aiming uh once again this is pointing out a flaw that you have if you're trying to aim then it's not going off because you're, you're so worried about your pin movement that you're slowing down your dynamic movement of your actual release hand. Don't do that, man. You're going to be amazed if you just say, okay, Dud tells me I'm going to move around a little bit more. I'm going to forget about that. I'm just going to, you know, when you shoot up close, count in your head. Do a cadence and count in your head and see what kind of time your shots are taking. So you let off your safety and just think 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, boom, maybe they go off at 4, 1,000. You get to the point where that's happening a lot. Once you go to that longer distance, I want you to, instead of aiming and thinking about what your pin's doing, I only want you to think about that cadence, and I want you to try to get to where you're able to make that release fire at that same type of um, timing 
even if your pin's moving around more, you're going to find that dynamic in the back half of your body overpowers static in the front half. So that's what you need to practice, dude. And I think that you're going to get better. Um, let's see. For all those watching, um, let's see. Sorry, they're getting ready to cut me off here. Um, I wanted to answer some of your questions. I have one minute. I'm going to just answer this one. Matt.Jones, uh, why does your shoulder collapse? Collapsing, causing high left. Because as the front shoulder collapses, you're creeping. So your bow's at full draw. It's at one length. As you collapse your front shoulder, you're actually creeping. If you watch your arrow, your arrow will actually be creeping forward on the arrow rest. And creeping causes your arrow to go high left with most bows. Um, and that's why some people, especially with two cam bows, you have the ability to slightly adjust your cable lengths to creep tune a bow. So some people will actually take their bow, pull it to full draw, slightly come off the wall a little bit and make shots. And by adjusting your cable length or your cam timing, you can minimize how far that miss is. And that's why a lot of people, like with a cam and a half system, like on a Hoyt, they like the top cam to touch just a little bit sooner than the bottom because they find they've found that the creep test or the margin of miss with a creep is actually less. So, um, for those of you watching, sorry I'm having to cut you loose, but at least I got to one question. Make sure you have a merry merry Christmas. You're all awesome, and uh, yeah. Don't, don't drink uh, irresponsibly and make sure you get some range time in during the holiday break for sure. So for everyone else that's listening to this podcast, uh, same thing. Make sure you drink responsibly um, and don't uh, drink and shoot unless, well, I was going to say something funny, but I'll probably get held accountable for it, so I better not. Um, but, yeah, enjoy everything and appreciate all you, and hopefully this podcast helps you out. We'll talk at you later. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com.